Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I wanted to tackle this uh, topic of what uh, Donald Trump said about NATO. Because you had uh, the big guy out yesterday showing he's still got the vim and bigger. He can still get on the attack on Trump. So he's fine. Mental acuity, not an issue. He's ready for this fight uh, all the way through November. Um, Trump's latest comments from a couple of days ago essentially being perceived uh, and characterized as giving a green light for Putin to invade other countries in the NATO alliance who haven't paid up. Uh, The Wall Street Journal opined the other day, his latest comments about the alliance will please Vlad Putin. Um, uh, Trump uh, saying that... uh, we're calling on the stump in South Carolina that uh, a head of state asked him how you respond if a NATO member hadn't spent enough on defense and was attacked by Russia. And Trump said uh, one of the presidents of big country stood up and said, well, sir, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? And he said, you didn't pay. You're delinquent. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. Yeah, pay your bills. And uh, this, of course, has the uh, foreign policy establishment aghast, and it's another example of how Trump talks that leads uh, that lends itself very easily for the demagoguery of the left. Uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal pan jan drums deterrence depends on a combination of force and will to use it. Uh, Trump boasting that he wouldn't aid an ally will sow doubt in the minds of our allies and might encourage Putin to think he can get away with another invasion, and so on and so forth. Well, he shouldn't have said it. I, I mean, when and of course, I told you what my friends in the Netherlands said. They, they're, if Russia's going to invade Poland, Trump's not going to stop them because they haven't paid their bill. Like, that friends, is not going to happen. Just your relax. Friends, they don't know what's going on. Your, your friends in Utrecht live in a town that has banned advertising for flying, mm-hmm. for cars, yep. and for meat. So your friends in the Netherlands are irrelevant. Well, is no, they're my not because they can still vote. And a lot of people, Americans, expats that live overseas and in Mexico, they can still vote. But that's a separate subject. But yes. that's why. And yes, they are irrelevant because they would vote for a potted plant over Donald Trump. So they're built into the price. They're irrelevant. They're ignorant. They're hysterical. They're apocalyptic. In other words, they're center cut for the left. So trying to convince your your expat oh, friends in Utrecht. I mean, let's get real. Oh, I know. I'm not trying to convince them, but I'm just saying that they hear everything Trump says and then they just of take course. it to the next extreme. Like, oh, my God, like you don't 
You haven't of course. lived in this world when he was president. They, <clears throat> they. Uh, I, I thought they're expats. They, they pay are. no attention to what's going on in America. No, they pay attention, but they don't. They don't get it. Clearly, a lot of people. Well, they don't that get the crime on the street. Don't. They don't get the invasion. Well, not the invasion, but all the um, illegals that are coming here. They don't get Trump because they moved out in 2016. Right. So they so they don't have a they, they don't have the ability to process something happening in their home country. They don't have the ability to critically think. I got it. No, I got it. So as I said, center cut left. I I, I can process something that occurs in a, in a place I don't live. They can't. Interesting observation. Back to Trump. Yes. Uh, so that was the whole. No, this is and this again lends itself to. The hysterics and the moral indignation and the let me tell you something, sir, moments that uh, Biden and leftists think they have, as Biden believed he had yesterday. But in recent days, those stakes have risen. And that's because the former president has sent a dangerous and shockingly, frankly, un-American signal to the world. Just a few days ago, Trump gave an invitation to Putin to invade some of our allies, NATO allies. He said if an ally didn't spend enough money on defense, he would encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want, end of quote. Can you imagine a former president of the United States saying that? The whole world heard it. The worst thing is he means it. No other president in our history has ever bowed down to a Russian dictator. Well, let me say this as clearly as I can. I never will. For God's sake, it's dumb. It's shameful. It's dangerous. It's un-American. Mm-hmm. You're right. The Trump is the end of democracies, the end of the world. Everything is uh, end times for the left. And, and uh, you know, right, he's un-American. He's an insurrectionist. He's all of these things. And so, by the way, are you the Trump voter? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in D A then a quick comment. So he he is not bowing down to a dictator. I mean, talk about shamelessness. The people who uh, invented and perpetuated and continue to perpetuate the Russian collusion hoax. People that ridiculed Mitt Romney in twenty twelve when he talked about the threat that Russia posed, Putin posed. People that have gone softer on enemies of America than Trump or anybody else since Jimmy Carter has, Russia, Iran, China. That's not what he's doing. And, of course, if you were fair-minded and you had paid attention over the last eight years, you'd be able to do a little bit better job getting to a fair reading of what Trump is doing. And again, I'm not a particular fan of the way he communicates, as I've said from the beginning, as I actually said 30 years before he ever ran for president. Not not, not a really big fan. The lack of specificity, the sort of disjointed stream of consciousness, not my flavor. Right. However... Let me outsource this to Tyler Cohen, somebody who is not a Trump fan. Uh, Tyler Cohen, who's an econ professor at George Mason University, very sharp guy. Uh, he wrote on his blog, Marshall Revolution, which is uh, a blog for the critical thinker. So that disqualifies, or that would, doesn't disqualify, it would uh, render uninteresting this blog 
for your friends in Utrecht and uh, most of the left in this country. Longtime readers, Tyler Cohen writes, will know I am not fond of Trump, either as a president or otherwise. And I am very fond of NATO. But on this issue, I think he's basically correct. Yes, I know about all the backlash efforts, but so many NATO members do not keep up serious defense capabilities. And for decades, none of our jawboning has worked. Personally, what I I would uh, have proceeded or spoken as Trump did, and I do not address the collective action problems in my own sphere of work and life in a comparable manner. If you're not ready with enough publications for tenure, we'll let (laughs) Bukele take you. I mean, right, right. But this is the way Trump talks. So if you wish to take that as a condemnation of Trump, so be it. Nonetheless, I cannot help but feel there is some room for an unreasonable approach on this issue, whether or not I'm the one to carry that ball. Every spending, even spending 2% of GDP, would not get many NATO allies close to what they need to do. I strongly suspect many of those nations just don't have effective fighting forces at all. In essence, they are standing at 0% of GDP, even if their nominal expectations say hit one point, expenditures, I should say, say hit 1.7%. Two percent on your on your military, not NATO dues, by the way. You you, you need to you know this is the whole uh, welfare queen problem. You need to be able to protect yourself, to defend yourself, and to aid the collective defense. That's why we put together this little North Atlantic Treaty Organization, folks. Remember the report going back to Cohen that the German army trained with broomsticks because they didn't have enough machine guns. How many of those forces are actually ready to, to fire and fight in a combat situation? It's far from obvious that the Ukraine war has fixed the situation. The nations that see no need to have workable martial capabilities are all a real threat to NATO. And yes, this includes Canada, which here is a very large de facto Arctic border with Putin, full of valuable natural resources. Even the United States, led by Nikki Haley, cannot do all the heavy lifting here. What if the U.S. is tied down in Asia and or the Middle East when further trouble strikes? that no longer seems like such a distant possibility. And shouldn't Western Europe over time really become foreign policy irrelevant relative to the more eastern, uh, to the more easternmost parts of NATO? That, too, is not good for anybody. With or without Trump's remarks, we are likely on a path of nuclear proliferation starting in Poland. The best scenario is that Trump raises these issues. Everyone in Canada Western Europe screams. They clutch their pearls, are horrified for months. But over time, the topic becomes more focal and more ensconced in their consciousness. Eventually, even the Dems may pick up Trump's talking points as they've done with China. Perhaps three to five years from now, that can lead to some positive action. And if they're calling his words appalling and unhinged, as indeed they are, well, that is going to drive more page views. Uh, so he, he goes on to just conclude, if you're worried about Trump encouraging Putin, that is a real concern, but the nations on the eastern flank of NATO are all above 2%, Bulgaria accepted. Maybe this raises the chance that Putin is emboldened to blow up some Western European infrastructure, make a move against Canada and the Arctic. I still could see that risk as panning out into greater preparedness, greater deterrence, and a better overall outcome. So on this one, Trump is indeed the Shakespearean truth teller, and I hope for the better. Tony in Downers Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, Hey, Dan, Amy. Um, So, Dan, I think... You act, maybe you accidentally said something that's spot on. You said uh, lack of specificity, specificity in stream of consciousness by Trump. And I think that represents the whole Republican Party. Uh, 
you know, unfortunately, we're we're going to spend the first ten minutes of your show, or however long, talking about another thing that Trump said, and how we have to, in how it has to be reinterpreted and defended, instead of attacking what Biden's done, how he's performing, how the Democrats have performed on the border. Instead, it gets turned around by the media that it's the Republicans. And an example, you get, you get Mike Johnson, who says he wants the border issue to be put back into the bill with the Ukraine funding, which this is just idiotic. Um, you know, Scott Walker came on yesterday and he was talking about what the Republicans, what they need to start doing. Well, they haven't already started doing it. They're in trouble. Thanks and- for the call, Tony. We got to go. But let, let me say something to that and then we'll pick it up on the other side. The difference is, yeah, again, I don't like Trump's communication style, the lack of specificity, the stream of consciousness. I didn't accidentally said that. I purposely said it because that's my belief. That's my viewpoint. Oh, you've said that all along. Yeah. And so, but, but, but he has a point with what he's saying, even if I don't like what he's saying it, where so much of the, other, of, of the rest of the Republican Party doesn't have a point for what they're saying. That's a big difference. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We were talking about uh, the effort by uh, the D.C. press corps and that uh, president they're trying to prop up the big guy, Mr. 10%. To uh, turn uh, Trump's most recent comments about NATO on the stump in South Carolina into Trump, Putin, Helsinki 2.0. No, it's danger. You know, this is it's the same thing we've been hearing about Trump uh, for the past uh, eight years. You can't have this uh, this guy with uh, nuclear codes. It's going to be World War Three. It's going to be end of the world, nuclear holocaust. And then it's season. Now you layer in he's an insurrectionist, threat to our democracy, we'll never have another election if he were reinstalled by the MAGA cultists, and so on and so forth. Talking about that, and um, and, and with Trump, who's frustrating the way he communicates to me, less so to um, a lot of Trump fans, I understand. There's, you know, this is what creates this cauldron around him. 
the way that he communicates. Well, it's typical Trump loose talk in my mind. And should he have said it? No, I mean, Russia is invading. Ukraine's not a NATO member, but I'm, I'm, I can bet my life that no matter who's in office, if Poland is invaded by Russia or Finland, you name the country, we would be there to defend them. The um, the point I was making before we jumped over to Mike Scott's newscast is that unlike uh, most politicians who uh, try very hard to not say anything, string together cliches and newspeak vocabulary, uh, Trump actually has a point with what he is attempting to say in the way that he says it. And this is what uh, even a egghead like Tyler Cohen was able to pick up on in terms of his response to this latest contretemps. That's important. There is actually a point. He's actually thinking about something. He actually has a position, and he is um, uh, rarely dogmatic about the positions he takes. You know, he's he moves around. But he has a position... And he is going to act in furtherance of that position. So as soon as you understand what the position is, if it's unclear, many times it's not. Many times it's very straightforward, very conversational the way that he talks or conveys his, his view on something. But, but again, you know where he's going to go, and there's a lot to be said for that. Because then you can argue honestly about whether or not that's the right place to go or not. Well, As Trump, opposed to the couched language, the misdirected language, the agitprop, the uh, uh, sort of double meaning that you have to decipher from most politicians who will say one thing to your face while they're simultaneously doing something very else behind closed doors. It's another example of Trump putting America first. Like, hey, we're sick of paying for everything. Pay your fair share. It's more than that, though, as Tyler Cohen pointed out. It's, listen, NATO is not an alliance worth much if NATO members aren't contributing to the alliance's overall ability to defend member states, right? right? Pretty straightforward concept. You have to pull your weight, not just because I'm tired of, of, of fronting the cash for you, but because the alliance isn't as strong as it could be in promotion of peace in the West if you're not holding up your end. This is a team effort. Pretty straightforward. Tom and Mount Green, what you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Tom. Tom, are you there? Okay, Tom. No, Tom. Bill, Northwest Side. The Europeans get six weeks paid vacation every year. They have free health care, and they can retire when they're 50. Why are they able to do that? Because we're the fools paying for their defense. As a matter of fact, Trump didn't go far enough. They not only need to pay up, they should be paying us for us to be there defending them. Uh, thanks for the call, Bill. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the flip side is you know, a question about uh, troop levels in places in Western Europe. That's another uh, way to incentivize them to provide a little bit more for their own protection and the larger protection of the alliance in the case of NATO. Something else, though, too, as I mentioned, the um, 
the Russian collusion matter, since this is all Russia all the time right now because of Tucker's interview with Putin and because of Trump's comments on NATO, and because this is an opportunity, as I said, but to hey, let's roll the big guy out there and have him do the Russian collusion, Trump's a Putin stooge, Manchurian candidate deal, and it'll make him look like, he, boy, he's got that fight. He's fine. Don't believe the her report. Don't believe what you saw on Thursday night. He's, you know, he has his moments, but he's still got the old one, two. Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi reporting. CIA had foreign allies spy on Trump team, triggering Russian collusion hoax. Um, I know you all know, paying attention, that there was deep state spying on the Trump campaign. But there's a wrinkle here that's important. It was initiated. The report here is it was initiated by CIA. It wasn't George Papadopoulos said something to uh, an Australian diplomat, and that's how the deep state got on this beat because they were just tracking down this tip that they got. No. That's not what we understand, uh, per, again, the schellenberger Taby reporting. Multiple sources tell public and racket, public is Schellenberger's outlet, racket is Taibbi's, that the United States intelligence community, including the CIA, illegally mobilized foreign intel agencies to target Trump advisors long before the summer of 2016. The new information fills many gaps in our understanding of the Russian collusion hoax and is supported by testimony already in the public record. Until now, the official story had been the FBI's investigation began after... Australian intel officials told U.S. officials that Trump aide had boasted to an Australian diplomat that Russia had damning material about Hillary Clinton. In truth, the United States International, excuse me, the United States Intelligence Community asked the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, that's U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, USIC Intelligence Community, asked the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, those four nations, to surveil Trump's associates and share intel they acquired with U.S. agencies. In fact, Obama's CIA director, red diaper baby John Brennan, had identified 26 Trump associates for the Five Eyes to target. The, a source confirmed that the intelligence community had, quote, identified them as people to bump or make contact with or manipulate. They were targets of our own international uh, our own intelligence community and law enforcement targets for collection and misinformation so this was not a response an opportunity even if you want to take it in the most cynical light that it was reported previously it wasn't just tracking down reasonably tracking down some intel that came you know over the wire it wasn't even just seizing a, an opportunity because you know this fell into your lap No, it was orchestrated from the outset prior to the summer of 2016. So the, you know, the the, the last half of that campaign season prior, prior to all that. From the start, it was cooked up by the U.S. intelligence community. John Brennan was writing point, identifying more than two dozen Trump aides, bump them, uh, dispatch our resources, go, um, Interact with them, gather information, spread misinformation, work with foreign governments 
and their intel agencies to do so as well. That's a pretty big deal. Because remember what the official story was from the D.C. press corps. In 2016, all the way through 2020. And it persists to this day. All you have to do is watch Adam Schiff in one of those uh, Senate candidate forums in California. It persists to this day. Here's a little flashback. Trump sitting down uh, in the 2020 cycle with Leslie Stahl for a 60 Minutes interview. Take a listen to this. Hearing this report from Taibbi and Schellenberger. Now take a listen to this exchange from four years ago. Watch him walk out of his store and he's walking with a ice cream. And the question the media asks him, what kind of ice cream, what flavor ice cream do you have? <laughs> and he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking, he's of course not. he is, no. Leslie. Come on. Of course he is. It's the biggest, second biggest scandal. So, the biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my well, campaign, There's Leslie. no real evidence of that. Of course there is. No. It's all over the place. Leslie, Sir, they spied on my campaign and they got I, caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes, and we can't put on things we can't verify. No, you won't put it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on you. things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied and, on my campaign. Well, we can't verify It's been totally that. verified. No. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign. They got caught. No. And then they went oh much further gosh. than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie, and you know that, but you just don't want to no. put it on the air. As a matter of fact, I don't know you know what I hate about reporters who they hear something they don't like and they immediately say, no, no, we can't verify it. They, they hadn't even tried to verify it. She just doesn't want to hear it. I, I can't. It's not, it goes against everything we're supposed to believe. Have they issued a uh, follow up? Uh, cor- I mean, maybe not even a correction if you were saying, well, we couldn't verify it at the time. Follow up on that, uh, Leslie, after yeah, the Durham yeah. report concluded that the case should have never been opened and. Of course, there was spying. But again, the official story was was all well precipitated by this happenstance encounter between an Australian diplomat and Trump aide George Papadopoulos. And now we know, at least if this reporting from Taibbi and Schellenberger is accurate, and we have a lot of reason to give them the benefit of the doubt, um, that it was cooked up from the outset, well before we thought. And anybody going to whistle John Brennan before? Uh, Senate or House committee? Any, any, anybody want to focus in on this? I, I hope so. I hope the Trump campaign picks it up. I hope the GOP picks it up. This is not inconsequential. This is not, oh, just more deep state, roll your eyes kind of stuff. You want to talk about reckonings that are required? Well, the reckoning that will and should come if Trump were reelected in November, you need to set it up. You need to set up what you're going to do as president by making sure people have a full appreciation for this sort of information. Greg and Schomburg, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning, Amy. Welcome back. Dan, everything that you have said this morning since the show started, I'm in sync with totally, meaning that I totally get how Trump talks. I understand how we have to explain it away. I understand the sources you're citing that have... um, made a case for why he might be right. I understand the Leslie Stahl thing, which I, you know, increasingly Americans, but not enough Americans, look at being stoned to death with popcorn. But here's what I think the Republican Party and Trump, and there needs to be a critical mass behind Trump that elicits this out of him. 
we are at a point where we are at the stage of World War III. We are at a stage where our economy can be decimated by the dollar not being the world standard. And I know you don't agree with that. I think there's a lot of great credence for that on a number of levels. We're, we're really in trouble. And the world could go instantly back to the dark ages if we don't have really good leaders. Now, how could Trump do that? One, assume a servant leadership position that's congruent with what I believe is his born-again status, largely as a reflection of Melania and the Catholicism that she brought into the equation in the White House. Number two, be sensitive to the fact that servant leadership brings out the notion that you have to understand the language to which you are leading people and be very sensitive to it. And if he were to do those two things, and just the Leslie Stalls of the world, all of that, don't dwell on it. Just say, okay, that's the way they are, you know, but here, I'm going to be what John Kennedy asked, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. We're going to go to the moon in 10 years. We're going to solve this problem. That's what's needed by Trump in order just to shoe this thing in for him. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Greg. I mean, you know, again, I I mean, those recommendations are, are fine. And you're going to see flashes of Trump probably exhibiting some of those qualities that you desire he exhibit on a more regular basis. But you're also going to see uh, moments where he punches down, where he is imprecise and off the cuff and uh, talks himself into a corner. Because that's that's who he I mean, he's 77 years old. I know, but then he, they'll say he's too old. If Biden's too old, then he Trump's too old to be president. No, I, I'm not talking. No, I'm not talking about his mental acuity. I'm talking about his personality. Right. I'm I talking guess. about the way he communicates. I'm talking about his philosophy. His his the, you know the philosopher that best explains Trump is Norman Vincent Peale, not any religious figure. And you're just not going to change him. So, I mean, the point is, if, if I were, you know, in the inner sanctum, you try to do what you can to round off some of the edges to maybe just on the margins improve the focus a little bit. But in terms of changing the way he communicates, That's you're not going to do that. So you have to be realistic about what you're dealing with and how he is going to operate on this landscape. And uh, it's all hands on deck. He did show some contrition, though, after he won Iowa. He did have his opponents on stage with him, which in 2016 Trump would have never have done. He ha- he has, or 2020 he, Trump. Uh, I, I don't know about that. He has moments. He has a moment. I mean, he has, he has moments of graciousness, too. And then he has moments that are, uh, you know, you want to avert your eyes. I mean, it's just that that's just it's it's all baked in is my point. So this is all hands on deck to do whatever is required in terms of explaining the truth of his position on NATO and Putin, for example, as we've spent the last couple of segments doing um, and um, and and everything else to carry water for this effort to get him back in because the alternative is untenable. That's the reality. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. 
Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. want to let you know what uh, your state government is up to because they're busy. Busy little bees. Who's been a busy little bee? My best uh, comatus. Who's been a busy little bee? Uh, State legislators, all kinds of exciting uh, legislative proposals have been filed. Not just uh, Ann Staffa-Murray, the communist representative of Downers Grove, uh, filing legislation that would um, uh, prevent parents from doing anything other than celebrating uh, their minor daughter's abortion or their minor child's uh, taking of uh, puberty blockers, mutilating him or herself, and so forth. Uh, And if you try and get in the way of your minor children having invasive surgeries of their choosing, maybe at the behest of a teacher or friends, just the political culture, then... um, we may have to take your kids, we at the state, may have to take your kids, may have to uh, look at you for um, possible child abuse prosecution. Of course, they're not your kids. That's uh, Downers Grove. Downers Grove values, Downers Grove strong. And Stava Murray. State Representative Abdul Nasser Rashid is uh, proposed legislation that would require all American, I mean all American, all Illinois public school students to take an Arab American history class. Um, so uh, in 2019, all K through 12 government school kids had to take a unit of black history. Then uh, you had in 2020, the inclusive curriculum law mandating all Illinois government school kids have to learn about the contributions of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender individuals in the teaching of Illinois United States history. Then in um, 2021, uh, mandate on all government school kids taking unit of Asian American history, contributed contributions of Asian Americans toward advancing civil rights and so forth. So now, uh, Rashid or Rashid, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, Representative Abdul Nasser, uh, he, uh, he, by the way, lives in Bridgeview. Um, now he wants to get, uh, American, uh, Arab American history 
and the contributions of Arab Americans in as required as well. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Uh, so uh, Abdul Nasser represents Bedford Park, Berwyn, Bridgeview, Brookfield, thirteenth and twenty third wards in the city. Cicero, Countryside, Hodgkins, Justice, Lagrange, Lagrange Park, North Riverside, Riverside Summit. Lives in Bridgeview. What about it? Hey, I mean you know. Uh, one identitarian turn uh, deserves another. We Blacks, see. LGBTQ, 2S++++++, Asians, Arab Americans. Let's what keep it going. Scandinavian Americans? Why do you forget about us? Uh, we help build the city of Chicago. Shouldn't they learn the history of that? Get your own legislator. Introduce Yonson. your own bill. <laughs> I'll find someone. Yeah. Uh, um, but there's a better one, the compassionate legislation. You know, SB 3499, the right to die. Did you hear about this one? I don't know if you guys talked about it while I was gone, but I was just shocked. Uh, you have to be 18 years or older, Dan. You have to be an Illinois resident. You have to have a terminal diagnosis with six months or less prognosis. Now, how many people do you know that they said you have six months to live and they go on living five to ten years? Well, the right to die is more complicated, and it requires a, a longer conversation. We've talked about this whole death with dignity, mm-hmm. which is um, an Orwellian description of what it actually is, movement afoot in this country for years now. It's uh, is popularized in the Pacific Northwest. Oregon probably has the most aggressive uh, assisted suicide law on the books. Washington State, California, of course. This is all modeled after what started in Western Europe. Uh, your friends in the Netherlands. Right. Um, Netherlands is, um, uh, you know, they've moved on to having the state kill people with mental illness. Canada is right behind them. So um, there's a lot to that. And, yeah, the state of Illinois doesn't kill enough people. So let's get them in the business of killing people that are dealing with uh, a terminal illness or, you know, again, uh, the slippery slope being what it is with government, the mission creep being what it is with government, uh, you'll get to mental illness, and you'll get to minors, well, and you'll reduce the time period, and there'll be exceptions. But I mean, you have two verbal requests. Have to you know you have to have your you have to make two verbal requests within five days to your physician saying that you want this, along with written consent, and uh, requests that can only be made by the patient, not a surrogate. You know, not somebody that's got power of attorney over you. Yeah. But nothing's wrong with this, right? It's so barbaric. And who, who, uh, Assistant Majority Leader Linda Holmes introduced the legislation. What do we know about her? Um, you know, people are burdens. This is the view of the state. It always has been. People are burdens. You know, the problem with uh, governance is the people. So we need to work around the people and do what's good for them, whether they like it or not. And that means getting rid of some people in the womb, at the end of life. Why don't they just call what it is, assisted suicide? Well, that's what it is. I know. And you get the passionate legislation. Well, and you get the medical profession in the business of violating the Hippocratic Oath, further corrupting a profession that is already corrupted. So that's right to die. Um, some other uh, highlights just on the identitarian front. Um, 
Well, and this is this is education too. Uh, State Representative uh, Yang Roar, Janet Yang Roar. She's from Naperville, that welcoming toddling town of Naperville. All high school students should uh, be required to take instruction in climate change mm-hmm. p- policy. Uh, the um, uh, legislation. Instruction would reflect the political positions of the current Illinois governor. Coordinated, quote, in consultation with the director of the IEPA, who shall prepare and make available to school boards instructional materials and professional development, development training for educators that may be used as guidelines for developing for a development of the instruction. So there you go. The IEPA director. So Britsker's IEPA director will put together uh, some agitprop that will then be used to train the teachers who will then be used to indoctrinate the kids on a climate change apocalypse. Scare them now. It's going to be a, a really uh, robust school day. It's uh, it's a wonder why only uh, a third of the kids in Illinois' government schools can read at grade level, a quarter can do math at grade level. It's a wonder. Lots of new mandates. Lots of new mandates. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, good. Yeah. State Representative uh, Flowers. Mary Flowers, she's an institution, and she should be in one. Uh, She has filed legislation that would mandate medical schools in Illinois teach students about structural racism against blacks in the medical profession. Quoting the legislation, the minimum required curriculum shall also include a medical humanities course that covers the effects of institutional racism on medical education, medical research, and medical care in the United States. That would be mandated at all of the state, all the medical schools in the state of Illinois. Of course. I mean, if uh, identitarian politics masquerading as education is good enough for K-12 through government schools, certainly it's good enough for future doctors. Yeah. I mean, do you remember when you were in high school, did somebody come in? Well, you went to a Catholic school, but did somebody come in and talk about the environment and you know, population control? And I swear that that affected the number of kids that I had and a lot of other women had. And I have a friend who texted, she's like, just for the record, we took heat when we were having our sixth child. Zero population growth was big, and we were told that we were irresponsible and contributing to the overuse of resources by having a big family. And it's nothing's changed. That was the population bomb, Paul Ehrlich, in the late 60s that was debunked. Doesn't matter. Because they inculcate it into the curriculum, and so it persists regardless of the academic worthiness of the scholarship. Yeah, I remember them telling you, you don't live on a farm, so you don't need to have 10 children. Illinois State Representative Maurice West, yeah, he's from we Rockford. Oh. Uh, he uh, has introduced legislation to ban these words in Illinois' government schools, chiefs. Redskins, Indians, Blackhawks. Better talk Kansas City about that. Blackhawks. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Among the the high schools that uh, Representative West hopes to ban, uh, you know, the high school names, the mascots. Oh, oh, you thought we, as enlightened a state as we are, you thought, oh, we've got all the the, uh, derogatory, racist, so forth. Nicknames, we've uh, eradicated them all, like, you know, 
much like the toppling the Columbus statue in Grant Park. We've we've done all of the proper neo-Jacobin work. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to report. Uh, these high schools will need to change their nicknames. Post haste. Uh-oh. Don't tell me it's not it's not going to be the Freeport pretzels, is it? Don't make Representative West get ugly on this, okay? okay? Putting you on notice. I mean, again, and most of these communities, like most of Illinois, are dutiful Jacobins who want to destroy everything that previous generations built and start... Chicago and Illinois history anew, day zero tomorrow. So I, I don't think there'll be much fuss over this, but just a heads up in case there are some obstreperous residents of your community or that you know in a particular school district that will need to be talked to, will need to be put down, will need to be silenced. I just want to give you the heads up. You could be in one of these zones. A Lake Forest High School. What are they? Scouts wrong with that okay thornwood high school what thunderbirds what's wrong with that? what stockton high school blackhawks well west aurora high school blackhawks I, I i told you if you didn't get rid of the chicago blackhawks if you didn't take away the blackhawks nickname from that chicago hockey franchise it would uh spur a bunch of copycatters and now we've got a whole problem on our hands and thank god we have maurice west representing us at rockford to address this applaud him uh bremen high school braves shame anna one high school braves deer creek mackinac high school chiefs shame can't believe travis kelsey wears that uniform i can't believe taylor swift lets him Cahokia Comanches, Cahokia High School Comanches. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, 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 no. Morrisonville High School Mohawks, Sullivan High School Redskins, Casey Westfield High School Warriors, Crete Monee Warriors. Uh-oh. Come out to play a and change your nickname. Warriors. Granite City High School Warriors, Warren High School Warriors. Warren, Warren. up there in, in, in enlightened Lake County where you have Reinhardt not prosecuting violent criminals. Oh, come on, Warren High School. I would say pony up, but I don't want to be put in the crosshairs by Maurice West. A uh, Wabonzi Valley. I mean, this is right next door to Naperville. That's a nice high school. What's up? Uh, what Warriors. Oh, boy. Main West Warriors. Well, yeah, it's always the Main West. They're not Westinghouse good. Warriors. Brimfield High School Indians. Cal- Chicago Cal- Calumet High School Indians. DeCoin Indians. Carlisle Indians, Dakota Indians, Lewiston Indians, Johnston City Indians, Pawnee Indians, Pecatonica Indians, Payson Seymour Indians, uh, Maradocia Chambersburg Indians, Manuka Indians, Mascuda Indians, Marengo Indians, Moments Indians, Pontiac Indians, Sandwich Indians, Wayne City Indians. And by the way, right in his backyard... What? Maurice West knows the pain. Winnebago High School Indians. So I think it's a way of honoring them. Indians used to absolutely work not. the land in Illinois. They owned it. They're part of our history. Absolutely not. Uh, remember the, the ho- Peking Jinx? <laughs> the horror show. 
Pekin. Pekin, Pekin. We'd always play in the Pekin basketball tournament. Uh, one more. Yeah. I mean, just to round it out, I want to give credit where credit's due. I want you to uh, be fully apprised so you can feel the pride that comes with knowing that many of us, you, the suburbs, the exurbs, have put these people into office, and certainly your neighbors have. State Representative Aaron Ortiz from Chicago uh, has sponsored legislation to make it a little bit easier for people in this state illegally, because they're in this country illegally, to get in-state tuition and taxpayer-funded at taxpayer-funded uh, colleges, universities, which is awesome. Told, exactly, it's a little onerous right now to get the in-state tuition if you're here illegally. And I think we should focus on the people that we care about most, as Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy said the other day, people in this country who are undocumented. That's the people we care about the most. Totally agree. So let's um, pick up the pace in terms of our assistance. Would remove the requirement that an illegal alien has lived with a parent or guardian and that they've attended Illinois High School for three years. Just remove that parent or guardian requirement and uh, make eligible legal aliens who didn't attend high school but have a GED. And let's get them that in-state tuition to go to U of I. And uh, your kid at, uh, I don't know, Wheaton Warrenville South with the 35 ACT and uh, 4.0, I, we don't have room for him. Make sure you pay your taxes, though, because uh, we've got this kid from Venezuela who's got a GED. Uh, and he really uh, wants to indoctrinate himself into University of and Illinois. And is by himself, and you know he deserves that uh, University of Illinois education on your dime. That's BS. Great. God. That's Illinois. Well, so many kids got their acceptance letters or rejection emails, and um, that pisses me off if they do can, that. Can you distinguish uh, a legislator in Downers Grove or Naperville from Chicago or Rockford? No. Okay, if I if uh, you heard all the legislation I sponsored, could you pick out the legislator from which community is sponsoring which? Uh, you couldn't. You couldn't. What does that tell you? Bill, uh, uh, Bill and Glen Ellen, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. You know, in the 1930s, the Germans have the excuse that they didn't know what the socialists were all about. But we have a hundred years of experience with these people. We know what's happening. We see it coming at us in slow motion. What is our, what's our excuse going to be when, when we finally reach that point? And, and, uh, and, and Bill, you're in uh, Terra Costa Howard territory there in Glen Ellen. How's that going? What do you say to your neighbors? Bang up job? We're looking for our exit point. We're, it won't take the Democrats away from us forever because they are not going to leave the red states alone. When they have total control, I, I would. I, you know, Bill, 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 you're in Glen Ellen, and you're worried about what's happening in Texas or Florida. Yeah, because it's not. You know, they think long term, Dan. You know, and so we get out here, and then they'll come for us there too. So that's why we have to fight here as long as we can, and try what? to make the state back. Well, I know. So what's happening in Glen Ellen is my question. Terra Costa Howard is. Uh, a dope and a Jacobin and unchallenged. Yeah, I can't explain it. You know, I, I'm not one right. of those people 
voting for these people. And I, I hear you. I hear you. Thanks for the call, Bill. Got a text you. message, Dan and Amy. Shouldn't Nobody we have can to change? It. Shouldn't we have to change the name of our state too? We're changing all these Indian names. Whatever they want to do, I'm good with. Who can explain it? I have no idea what's happening on my block. I have no idea what's happening in my school. Who 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 know? Who could know these things? These things are unknowable. There's a lot of people out there like that, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Well, that, that's there's a reason why th- things are the way they are. There always is. Oh, yeah. What's happening in uh, Tennessee, what? Arizona? Uh, what's happening down the block? No idea. I, I have a, friend, a neighbor who works for a selective enrollment school. Has no idea that selective enrollment schools are going away. No idea. Like, wh- what do you mean? You don't know this? How, how do you not know this? How are, how are you teachers not even talking about this, about what next year play is? Because, you know, you're so elite because you work in selective enrollment schools. Robert Bloomingdale. Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? The reason I was calling... You know, instead of worrying about the Warriors and the Blackhawks, I think they, they should be worried about the three hours, reading, writing, and arithmetic. No wonder these kids can't keep up in math and so forth with the foreign kids in foreign lands. It's a terrible tragedy thing that's just continuing on and on. What do you think? Um, is it a tragedy? I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I'm having a hard time mustering the empathy this morning, even though it's Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, Dan. So my heart should be full. Um, but um, I'm having a hard time. You know, this is this is sort of the same thing. Why is it different, the conversation different about the suburbs than it is Chicago? Like, we're all you, in the same boat now. No, we're not, actually. I, I got off. Okay. Um, w- w- why am I supposed to be interested in fighting for you when you won't fight for yourself? Isn't that what we say about Chicago? I mean, I hear a lot of suburbanites say, hey, you're, you're, you're getting what you uh, voted for. I hear that all the time in Chicago. Getting what you, you voted for good and hard. Have no sympathy. What about the suburbs? Isn't it the same case? So why, why should I care? Why should anybody care? Maybe that's a conversation starter at the block party, the Lions Club, the country club, church, the uh, school sporting event. You, you, I mean, outside forces are supposed to prevent Tara Costa Howard from representing Glenn Allen. Is that what... Janet Yang Rohr from representing Naperville and Stava Murray, Downers Grove. Somebody's supposed to save you from those in your community with whom you disagree. I'm not voting for them. Is that is that enough? Is that does that approach working? Or I mean, or is that is, is that good enough for you? I didn't vote for Tara Costa Howard. Oh, okay. Well, you have her. Well, I'm not voting for her. Okay, but you're still going to have her. Yeah, but I feel good about myself. How's that different than the left? It's about my feelings. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Pagliacci Schumer was uh, out on the uh, press avail yesterday talking about uh, the foreign aid bill that's passed out of the Senate now. And, of course, talking about his uh, longtime comrade. That would be the big guy. President Biden. Mental acuity. It's as good as it's ever been. Interesting way to put it. First, when I talk to President Biden, you know, regularly, mm-hmm. off sometimes several times in a week, or usually several times in a week, his mental acuity is great. It's fine. It's as good as it's been over the years. I've been speaking to him for 30 years since we worked on the Brady Bill and the assault weapons ban when I was a young congressman. <laughs> um, and um, he's he's. He's fine. All this right-wing propaganda that his mental acuity has declined is wrong. He's going to win the election because he has a great record. Okay, it's good enough for me. Let's move on then. Um, and, and we should, by the way. I don't. I mean, I. It, it, this reminds me of the run-up to the debates in 2020, where everybody was talking about how uh, and Trump too. Biden's dead on his feet. He's, there's no way he's not going to be able to utter a sentence and so on and so forth. And I never understood that. Why are you participating in what the press wants you to do, which is to lower expectations for Joe Biden? I, I mean, I, what, how, what kind of sense does that make? And it turned out to largely backfire. So what kind of sense does it make now to obsess about this? Oh, uh, you know, he's not going to be able to serve a second term. Um, Why is that your concern? Their party, he and their party are saying he's fine. If 85 percent of the American people see something different, well, then I guess they should vote on what they see. Do you want him to be replaced or do you want him to stand for election? Do people ever think through these things? Or they just I mean, we're so trained to just sort of jump on whatever grenade is rolled out there by our opponents. Relax about it already. Everybody saw Thursday night. Everybody's seen the last four years. It's uh, zipping around social media at the speed of light. So let it be. Focus on other things. Substantive things. Alternative visions for this country. People's quality of life concerns that begin with, frankly, their cost of life concerns. Oh, and by the way, um, nobody in the D.C. press corps had the heart to ask him, which I appreciate. I was very compassionate of them, very magnanimous what? to ask Pagliacci Schumer. Um, you know, that uh, presser on Thursday night. Uh, sort of buried in everything else that occurred that evening was Biden again saying that Bibi Netanyahu's response to the Hamas terrorist attack was over the top. Over the top. You had uh, Chris Van Hollen, who's a a Marxist senator from Maryland, um, 
essentially say that Netanyahu and by extension the Israeli state are war criminals, though he voted for the aid package. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Because, you know, it's got Ukraine and it's got some other things in there, too, like this. $10 billion in migration funding. So $61 billion for Ukraine and, and $17 billion for Israel. $10 billion in migration funding. What does that mean? Uh, it's portrayed as humanitarian aid for Ukraine and Israel, but the text of the bill allows it to be spent on, quote, other vulnerable populations. Other vulnerable populations. You know how money's fungible, like when Brandon Johnson uses COVID money to house migrants in Chicago? That sort of fungibility right. characteristic. Yeah. So other vulnerable populations give some latitude, I would argue, a lot of latitude, open-ended latitude to POTUS to divert funds to, well, I don't Palestinians, know. Palestinians, Hamas, uh. Uh, migrants, sanctuary migrants, cities, sanctuary cities. Uh, other vulnerable populations, whatever they define as vulnerable. And that's their backdoor way of federally funding this invasion that I believe we're having in our cities of Chicago because they keep going back to D.C. begging for more money. You say invasion, I say importation. When you're financing the entrance, when you're opening the door, I have a hard time calling that an invasion. You're bringing them in. That's an importation. But, you know, I get that a lot of people like the other I word. Uh, for uh, more on all of this, uh, including what may or may not happen in the House on this legislation and what should, please be joined again by Rich Goldberg. He's a former National Security Council official and U.S. Senate aide, currently senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Rich, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning. So uh, what is your handle on uh, this $95 billion foreign aid bill? Well, as far as I can tell, it's dead on arrival in the House uh, per the Speaker. And so the Speaker obviously last week tried to move a standalone bill just to support our ally in Israel, uh, while there was still obviously no movement from the Democrats uh, to get serious about the border. Uh, and that did not get through the House. A uh, number of uh, Republicans joining, almost all Democrats, in, uh, in voting against it. Now, that needed two-thirds based on the rule he brought it up on on the suspension calendar. He could bring that bill back under a traditional rule that just needs a majority vote and put that back into the Senate and uh, put Schumer back on the clock and Democrats on the clock to uh, support our ally in Israel. That obviously needs uh, more munitions and more support. While we continue to talk about the elephant in the room, which is our southern border, you've talked about it dead and awesome. Everyone's talked about it, and nothing is actually being done in a serious way to try to secure our own border. And I don't know how you go back to that caucus as the Speaker of the House and say, we're going to send this many dollars for economic and humanitarian assistance and all that to, to other places, and we won't do anything about the crisis in our own cities. We won't do anything about the crisis on our southern border. That is not to diminish the importance and criticality, in my view, of ensuring Vladimir Putin does not walk through Ukraine and then on to Eastern Europe. I think that would be a massive national security disaster, is to expose the problem we have on the other side of the aisle of not being willing to get serious and meet our own need at the same time. And, you know, listen, he's the Speaker of the House. Uh, Republicans have the majority. 
it's on them to put forward a plan, in my view, and say what you're for. Uh, it's one thing to be against when you're in the minority. When you're in the majority, you should show the American people what you're able to do and then show the American people what would happen if you took the Senate uh, and what the roadblock is in Chuck Schumer. So if I were the speaker, I would, I would go ahead and write the bill the way you want it, put forward the border requirements that we need to secure our border, put uh, the hardware, the dollars we need for the military equipment that Ukraine needs not to fall this year, uh, to Vladimir Putin, put forward the, the dollars that Israel needs to finish off Hamas and stay strong against Hezbollah in the north and the Iranian threat throughout the region, and, and lob that into the Senate and force the Democrats to have to defend why they're opposed to it. Well, on, on the House side, um, they have done that on the border. They did it a while ago called H.R. 2. So, Correct. I mean, I, I guess you can, you know, uh, restate that and attach some fine uh some 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 aid to uh, israel and that that would be about it for me in terms of under consideration because i think one of the frustrations people have talking about this a, a, a lot is um they're a little perplexed that we seem to be on both sides of these wars while we're getting moralized too about uh about about um uh, russia in particular um well if 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 vlad putin is such a bad guy and he is then why is our energy policy such that it enriches Vlad Putin, that it enriches the mullahs in Iran? So we're underwriting Russia and Iran, and then we're supposed to write checks to Ukraine. We're underwriting Hamas through the U.N. Relief and Works Agency. And then we're supposed to give money to Israel, but we're also going to give more money to Gaza residents, which is going to go through that same Hamas-sponsored U.N. agency. Uh, you know, it's like I, I'm a little tired of being on every side of everything. And then if I'm if I oppose anything that would sustain that paradigm, then I'm um, I, I'm, I'm anti-American. You are 100 percent correct. And, and I have said this repeatedly well, early on when the president had made a supplemental request. I said, you know, the president proposes Congress disposes. That's the old uh, motto in Washington. Write the bill you way you want it. And all the sanctions relief for Iran that the president is continuing to provide today. There is money being transferred to Iran today under Biden's policies that is underwriting all of the fires throughout the Middle East that we see from Gaza to Lebanon to Yemen to Iraq. It's absolutely nuts. Oh, and by the way, also helping Russia because Iran's providing the drones and maybe soon ballistic missiles to Russia as well. They use Iran for sanctions evasion. We know that. So put that into the bill. Uh, you know, strip out all of this gunk that the president's trying to put in that, as you say, would fund both sides of conflict, um, that is completely uh, without oversight uh, and, and likely to go into corrupt areas, waste, fraud, and abuse. Stick with hardware, stick with the defense industrial base here at home, make sure we're focused on the primary threat of China in the future, and don't let our Democratic allies fall on the battlefield. Well, speak- oh, and by the way, secure our border. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Well, speaking of waste, fraud, and abuse, uh, what about American taxpayers' support for the UNRWA, also known as the United Nations Relief and Works Agency? Wow. So $6 billion from 1950 to 2018 to a so-called refugee agency. And just so everyone has context, there's actually a UN refugee agency. It's called the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. 
And then there's this other agency called UNRWA that was set up right after Israel's War of Independence because all the Arab armies wanted to keep a few hundred thousand Arabs who had left their homes as political pawns and tell them, hey, we're coming back, we're going to push the Jews into the sea, don't go anywhere, you're refugees. There was an equal number of Jewish refugees back then that were expelled from Arab countries. They were all absorbed into Israel or the United States or Europe, wherever they went. But not these Arabs. They were kept in refugee camps. Fast forward 75 years, they're still considered refugees. Only their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren have all been considered refugees, all administered by this one unique organization that doesn't recognize Hamas or Hezbollah or Islamic Jihad as a terrorist organization, has schools to indoctrinate kids to hate Israel, hate Jews, grow up to believe they're getting ready for the Arab armies coming back to invade Israel and genocide the Jews. And then we're surprised, after $6 billion over 70-plus years, that this uh, agency actually produces what its mandate is, and that is something like October 7th. Now, 2018, why did I use that year? That's the year Donald Trump cut off this organization and said we're not funding it anymore. This is crazy. And in 2021, Joe Biden comes into office, flicks the light back on, and has funded more than a billion dollars since 2021 to, to UNRWA uh, prior to October 7th and still wants to keep the money flowing, even after we now know that their employees are Hamas. Some of them took part in October 7th. I mean, this is an agency that is the worst program on a good day for a U.S. taxpayer dollar to ever enter the door from. We should not be funding them a cent ever again. It shouldn't exist. There are other U.N. agencies and organizations that could do humanitarian work. It is time to dismantle UNRWA. He is Richard Goldberg, former National Security Council official and U.S. Senate aide, currently a senior advisor at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Rich, thanks as always. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I, the Red Balloon, that um, job network for conservatives, mm-hmm. they advertise on our station for their ads. Um, they've got a good ad that's running around the country. I see it a lot on social media. It's um, a great sort of counterculture ad. Take a listen to it. With kids as the stars in the spot. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. 
I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my co-workers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. I mean, it speaks to, it is a pretty good spot. Uh, The question I, I wonder, though, is does it resonate with anyone who otherwise is being ridiculed in that spot? Uh, is is that the way back? I mean, I understand that, um, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, um, the devil hates to be mocked, and thus he must be. But um, maybe it'll wake some people up like, ooh, I guess we are acting pretty silly. I don't know. Especially you know, I was, stru- things. I was struck by um, Eric Adams last week uh, at uh, that uh, little confab he had of city workers in New York where he uh, compared himself to Jesus Christ, oh, which I, th- I thought was uh, pretty generous. And um, He's the and second then, coming, Dan, don't you know? Come on. And then celebrated the uh, intersectional score of his administration. You know, you black woman, stand up. You Asian man, stand up, and so on and so forth. He didn't do it that way, but that was the point of it. We have got this great, diverse administration. But he 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 invokes scripture in... Uh, describing what he has done as mayor. I'm I'm turning over the tables in the temple. That's what I'm doing and being persecuted for it. So there's uh, just this this cultural intersection between um, Marxism, neo-Marxism, identitarianism, and those who still, particularly in minority communities, who still consider themselves good Christians, they're people of faith, and there's some of that in the suburbs, too, at these sort of off-the-shelf uh, Protestant institutions, as well as the uh, liberation theology-oriented Catholic institutions. So you're trying to—everybody sort of wrestling with—I mean, if you care about America's future as a free society, which ostensibly we do, but wrestling with, so like, these— intersections and signals and uh, illustrations of revolt against the prevailing culture while others fold into it that once were uh, more iconoclastic. David French comes to mind. Uh, Russell Moore comes to mind. Like, how are we to exactly understand where Christianity and faithfulness is in this moment. How important is it in a post-Christian America? And if it is important, what should be done about it? Well, uh, to help us address those big questions, he's written a book about it. Aaron Wren is a co-founder and senior fellow at American Reformer, also a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research. His new book, 
Life in the Negative World, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. Aaron Wren, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, do we? Do we? You were cutting out. Do we have him? Do we have him on a good line? Yes, you can. You can hear me, right? Oh yeah, there we go. Okay, good. Sorry. Um, so, so uh, you know, I, I know you sort of give us a, 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 a historical progression to where we are today. Um, give us, give us the the sort of the thumbnail on that, and then let's get to how we should understand where we are today and what we do about it. Yeah. Well, briefly. Uh, we never had a state church like in Europe, but essentially a sort of generic Protestant Christianity was the de facto national religion of America for most of its history. So in the 1950s, half of all the people went to church. We had prayer and Bible reading in schools, etc. In the 60s, that started to go un- become unraveled. Christianity went into decline in America. That decline continues. And I sort of divide that period of decline between 1964 and the present into three phases or worlds I call the positive, neutral, and negative world. In the positive world, 64 to 94, Christianity's in decline in America, to be sure, but is still basically viewed positively. Uh, from 94 to 2014, we had a tipping point. Christianity's not really seen positively anymore, but it's not yet viewed negatively either. It's just one more lifestyle choice among many in a sort of pluralistic public square. But then around 2014, we had a second tipping point and into what I call the negative world. For really the first time in the 400-year history of America, sort of official elite culture is now negative or certainly skeptical towards Christianity. Uh, To be known as a Bible-believing Christian does not help you get a job at Goldman Sachs or Google. Christian moral frameworks are expressly rejected and, in fact, in many ways are viewed as a leading moral threat to the new new public moral order. And so this is a kind of a very uncomfortable situation, I think, that a lot of uh, Christians and evangelicals find themselves in today. Well, what happened? I mean, why the decline and why the positive look on Christianity and now people look on it negatively? Well, that's a very complicated topic. I don't I'm not one of these. Where did it all go wrong? I think, you know, you could tell, uh, you know, uh, philosophers and things have told 100 year story arcs of secularization. I think a couple of landmarks, though. One was the sort of collapse of the old Protestant establishment in the 1960s. I mean, we really did have a self-consciously Protestant leadership class in America for much of the history. Now, if you were Catholic or Jewish, you didn't necessarily like that. But it was there was a sort of a, a, a sort of Christian identity in that. And then the collapse of the Soviet Union played a huge role as well in uh, you know 1989 because you know that was an avowedly atheist materialist system, and Christianity was really bound up with the West battle against communism. That's why we added in God we trust to our money in the 50s, under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. It wasn't until the Soviet communist threat went away that Christianity could sort of be unbundled from what it meant to be a Western liberal democratic society. Yeah, I mean, as, as Charles Murray, right, um, when he said, you know, part of what happened with the um, leadership class, if you will, is they stopped preaching what they practice. Right. Well, there's certainly been this huge disconnection between the, you know, the elite and the masses of America. In the past, you know, many of the upper class, the elites may have looked kind of contemptuously on the lower classes, but they still had a great identity with America and viewed themselves as stewards of this country and its institutions. You know, and that's really less the case today. I mean, um, our elite behaves in a very self-interested manner. 
And, you know, unlike the old days when they said what's good for General Motors is good for America and vice versa, today what's good for a private equity executive may be what's bad for America. And they don't really care. Well, so okay, so so where do we go from here? I mean, the last big conversation, I mean, I shouldn't say it like a conversation ended with this, but it was an inflection point was um, Rod Dreher's book, The Benedict Option, where he suggested, recognizing the same thing that you're describing, that right now is a time for people of faith to sort of exit the culture, congregate together and uh, rebuild in preparation for serving when things break apart uh, more uh, significantly. Yeah, I don't think exiting the culture is really an option. I do think, though, when you go from being, you know, what used to be, as they said, the moral majority to being a moral minority, you have to start thinking like a minority, which means you need to more self-consciously be stewarding the strength of your own community, its own identity. You know, again, we were sort of an anti-Catholic country for a good chunk of our history. So in the early 20th century, Catholics had to create their own institutions, their own Catholic schools, their own Catholic universities, fraternal societies, organizations, infrastructure and practices to sustain Catholic life in America. And it actually worked well. But that didn't mean that they kind of um, retreated from overall society. And so I think that's the sort of thing, you know, I think sort of Protestants and evangelicals need to be looking at creating infrastructure to sustain their own community within the larger uh, structure of society. Well, so is there cause for optimism, you know, for the church in this new era? Well, um, again, I tend to look at evangelicals uh, specifically, so I know that the best. You know, I think a hallmark of evangelicalism has really been its superior adaptability. When Christianity started going into decline, you know, the main line started losing people and could never figure out how to get them back. And they just sort of died off, whereas evangelicals, people like uh, Bill Hybels with Willow Creek Church, they were able to reinvent church to attract new generations. You know, again, when the cities came back, Tim Keller in New York City reinvented how to do church in an urban context. So I am somewhat actually optimistic that once again, you know, people will figure out how to kind of reinvent or update what's going on in order to adapt to today's changing world as well. So, I mean, what, do you have suggestions on what the posture should be as uh, that exploration is occurring? Yeah, again, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a formula. You know, there there is a difference between now and Hybels. Hybels went door-to-door asking people why they didn't go to church and said, oh, I'm doing my market research, I'll design a church people will attend. I think today is a more fundamentally challenging scenario. You're not just going to ask people why they don't go to church and then design something to get them in the door. I do think it's more unknown and therefore, we had to have more of a posture of exploration. It's somewhat like uh, a startup. Think about Elon Musk wanting to go to Mars. He's not really sure how he's going to get to Mars. And so he's, he's trying to, you know, figure out how to, well, at first we're going to build a rocket, you know, et cetera. So I think there is some of like, we have to be comfortable walking more by faith than by sight, more comfortable in this unknown territory. And we're going to have to explore. There's going to be a lot of trial and error probably to figure out uh, what's going on. We're going to have to pivot along the way. And of course, the world is constantly changing. We're in an incredibly dynamic environment. He is Aaron Wren, co-founder and senior fellow at American Reformer, also senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. His book, Life in the Negative World, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. Aaron Wren, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Congressman Barbara Lee has been in the House for some time. She's well into her 70s at this point. Now she's uh, one of the candidates running in that jungle primary for U.S. Senate to replace uh, the dearly departed DiFi. That would include uh, Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, Steve Garvey. Yes, the Republican candidate, Steve Garvey. Uh, Here's uh, Barbara Lee in a recent uh, candidate debate being asked about a proposal that she advanced, and uh, she's happy to explain it. You're calling for a $50 an hour federal minimum wage. That's seven times the current national minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Can you explain how that would be economically sustainable for small businesses? You have 60 seconds. First, let me say I um, owned and ran a small business for um, 11 years. I created hundreds of jobs, benefits, retirement benefits, also health care benefits. I know what worker productivity means, and that means that you have to make sure that your employees are taken care of and have a living wage. In the Bay Area, I I believe it was the United Way, came out with a report that uh, very recently, $127,000 for a family of four is just barely enough to get by. Another survey very recently, 104000 for a family of one, barely enough to get by low income because of the affordability crisis. And so just do the math. Just do the math. Of course we have national uh, minimum wages that we need to raise to a living wage. You're talking about $20, $25, fine. But I have got to be focused on what California needs and what the affordability factor is when we calculate this wage. No, dinner bell. Yeah. Uh, Steve Moore is an economist, Godzilla author. Steve, um, you know, it's just simple math. If you need somebody to make $100,000, then you just mandate a $50 an hour minimum wage. It's what we've always talked about when they propose raising it. Why not make it 50? Why not make 100? Barbara Lee's taking us up on that. Yeah, who knew that Barbara Lee was uh, listening to us when we used to mock this idea of a $50 minimum wage. She took it seriously. Um, So do the math here, uh, since we're going to do math today. Uh, so if you're working 40 hours a week for 50 uh, weeks a year, you're working, uh, what is that, 2,000 hours and okay. times 50, that's 100,000. Gosh, yeah, every probably. American, every right. American will earn 100,000 yeah. dollars. And I mean, come on, that's a great, great deal for people. Of course, it will bankrupt every small business in America. There won't be any jobs left, but everybody with a job will have $100,000 a year job. Of course, you know, this is so economics 100. I don't want to insult your listeners, but the fact is, okay, what about somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't, isn't able to produce, you know, enough for $50 an hour? Well, okay, what happens to them? Oh, well, they get fired. So now the people who are hurt the most by this, I mean, this is so obvious, are the lowest skilled workers because they're the ones who are thrown out of jobs under Barbara Lee's very generous proposal. No high schoolers would ever flip burgers again because the college students would drop out of college, work at the burger joint, find a chick, a hot chick that works in the cashier station next to you, marry her. You guys instantly have $200,000. It's brilliant, right? 
You know the uh, you know the people have been complaining about the uh, eighteen dollar uh, Big Mac meal now because of Biden inflation. Can you imagine how much a Big Mac? It'd be forty dollars. They, yeah. they had to pay fifty dollars. Yeah, but you're making but you're making fifty dollars an hour at least, so you can afford the forty dollar Big Mac. I mean, it's it's just this endless arms race between government setting uh, prices, uh, wages by fiat, government setting prices by fiat, and then Biden will come in and say McDonald's and and Burger King are examples of corporate greed. There's shrinkflation going on with the Whopper. Yeah, and right. you know, and then you just you just jawbone it, and and then this just goes on in perpetuity. Of course. Um, by the way, I would right, love to. I'd, I'd love to see the. I'd love to get the details on that uh, business that Barbara Lee ran too. Right. I mean, she should yeah. know of anybody. Know. Yeah, I'd love to get details on that. But one, uh, one thing I just want to add to this though is that it is true. The costs of San Francisco are outrageous. I mean, it's unbelievable how much how expensive everything is in San Francisco. Gee, why is that? Maybe it's because they regulate everything in San Francisco. There's no housing. Uh, everything is expensive. Why don't they look under the hood and see what they're doing in that city, which is, by the way, the most progressive city in America. And they've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of illegal immigrants there. They're paying those bills. Gee, I wonder why everything's so expensive. So uh, yesterday, uh, the street got uh, shocked a little bit because inflation running hotter than anticipated. Core uh, CPI, which excludes food and energy, annualized rate at 3.9%. Super core CPI, excluding food, energy, and cost, 6%. And that's on top of food, energy, and shelter that are still up at least 25% from four years ago. So um, uh, Jay Powell hasn't quite stuck the landing yet. What happens next? (laughs) Yeah, he hasn't stuck the landing. He's one of the most overrated people. You know, Time Magazine wanted to make him their man of the year, but then they had to, you know, they couldn't they couldn't pass by Taylor Swift. But if it hadn't been Taylor Taylor Swift, it probably would have been uh, Jerome Powell. Uh, because they think he did stick the landing, but he didn't. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, this is a guy who's been – and I talked to Trump last week about uh, Powell. I asked him, you know, would would you reappoint Jerome Powell? And thank God he said no, because I think Powell's been a disaster. I mean, when he – when Trump left office, the inflation rate was 1.5%. 18 months later, thanks to Biden and Powell, we're at 9.1%. And you made a very important point just there a second ago that – the total increase in prices of everything officially is about 18.2% since Biden came into office. But if you look at the things people have to buy, like you just said, mortgage, uh, what you pay for your groceries, what you pay for your gas, what you pay for your utility bill. Home and car right, insurance. Don't forget about that. Yeah, <laughs> That exactly. went way up. Yeah, that went way up. And, and as we've talked about so many times, Cocoa Krispies are now eight eight fifty a box. So people are facing really 25 to 30% inflation. And then, you know, Biden's doing this little dance and jig in, in, in Washington about how well he's uh, handled the economy. And, oh, by the way, I just have to say, you know, you did you see his, his shrinkflation video? Right, yeah, the, pre, the pre-Super yeah. Bowl ad. Yeah, right, so exactly. if the, econ- yeah, if the economy is so good, why did he do a Super Bowl commercial saying cookies and ice cream cost so much? <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Uh, it, this is a little side note. Do you know how many takes he had to do? How? No. This nailed is so on, inside baseball. But nailed what? it on the first take. He had to do it 15 times. 15? So, 15 times before he finally got it. And even he still slurred the words. But my, my Was it really him or was that a stunt double? <laughs> AI. <laughs> but here's the thing. Hey, look, I... 
he what he said was right. I am addicted to Doritos. Okay, I, I have to I have to confess that is my addiction, and so I buy those bags of Doritos all the time. And I swear he's right. I used to get about 24 chips in a bag, and now I'm getting about 20 chips in the bag. Yep. And so he's saying, "Oh, these criminal." Remember when he Dan and any remember grocery. when he blamed the remember when he blamed the gas stations for the high gas prices? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what the, I mean. This is yeah, right. Well, but round, I want to round and round. The reason that Doritos is putting fewer chips in the bag is not because they're at one of these greedy corporations. It's because their costs are higher, and they're trying to disguise the higher costs by putting fewer. So per chip, you're paying probably about 14% inflation for Doritos. No, right. You can either um, raise the price or you lower the amount because of the production costs. I mean, it's not that complicated, but it's a conspiracy by big grocery and big chip and every other (laughs) big candy, big ice cream. Yeah, I get it. Big soda water. So, uh, so, but I mean, but in terms of what this means for Powell, uh, he's going to have to, and this is, I guess, the street's reaction, although we'll see if it bounces back today it seems pretty irrepressible that he's going to have to put off maybe even the three rate cuts that were anticipated um you know i don't see how he could do rate cuts right now because the inflation boogeyman has not been killed yet it's not there is inflation out there there were a lot of really worrisome signs in that report that uh, there's still inflationary pressures especially in service costs uh and so, no, I don't think they should be cutting rates right now. And that's one of the reasons that the stock market had a little bit of a hissy fit yesterday. Uh, because, look, the, the Wall Street loves cheap money, Dan. You know, they love cheap money. Just keep flushing into the, into yeah. the economy. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a good way to ruin an economy is by continuing to cheapen the, the dollar. So I, I think if I were Fed chairman, I would not uh, cut rates right now. Well, now that he knows Trump won't re-up him, he's probably going to cut rates. He's got to protect Biden. Oh, I know. He's going to screw Trump. Yeah. yeah. He's going to screw Trump because Trump, uh, you know, look, Powell got it wrong when Trump was president. He raised rates when he should have been lowering them, lowered rates. And, and he really believes, as so many idiots on Wall Street do, that, in fact, there's a report by one of the major Wall Street firms saying, we think that prices are, are going to, uh, what did they, oh, yeah, they said, the only way to stop prices from going up is to have a recession. Now, is that the dumbest thing you ever heard? Yes. I mean, <laughs> if you have a recession, you're going to produce less products. If you produce less products, the prices are going to go up. They're not going to go down. I mean, there's just there's so much bad th- economic thinking. I mean, we did, we got to go back to economics 100. All right. Here's another uh, topic under the Econ 101 yeah. uh, syllabus. Yeah. Uh, new data from the IRS in 2021. The top 1% of taxpayers paid 46% of all federal income taxes. That is a record high percentage for the top 1%. A record low, 34%, um, paid by the bottom 95%. So the top 1% paid uh, a plurality, 46%. The bottom 35% paid, uh, excuse me, the bottom 95% paid only 34% of total uh tax yeah. tax uh receipts to the government yeah. so yeah. um income yeah tax. these are income taxes yeah. and so so um so i guess obviously the obvious question is despite the fact that the one percent paid an all-time record high on a percentage basis uh when are the rich going to pay their fair share 
So, I, I, by the way, I'm not fam- familiar with that. those latest. Did those numbers just come out? Because the last one yeah. I saw, the versus 1%, we're paying 41%. Are you saying it's up to 46% now? In, tw- in 2021, 45.8% all-time record wow. on, on a percentage basis. Yep. Uh, wow, wow. So when are they going to start paying their picture? Exactly. I mean, exactly. They should be paying 67%. At the top 1% should be up all the taxes. You know, At I least mean, 100%, I, percent, I, if not more. Pay. Yeah. And, and Warren Buffett, and we got to get Jeff Bezos, and we got to get uh, Elon Musk in a room, and they're going to pay all the taxes, okay? And then they're going to move to New Zealand, <laughs> they're move to, you know, Switzerland. I mean, this is a this is a bad thing for so many reasons. The most important reason is that look, everybody should pay some tax. And by the way, the bottom fifty percent—I don't know if you have those numbers in front of you—they pay the last time I checked, like four percent of the taxes. So that we, the United States of America has the most progressive tax system in the world. And I know people are going to be shocked by that because we're always told every day the rich aren't paying their fair share. There's no country in the world that depends more on the top 1% to pay the tax burden than the United States does. Yeah, obviously the numbers bear that out. Uh, We just hit an all-time high thanks to uh, Bidenomics. Uh, yes, Steve, by the way, just think of how much how much money we could get if we raised their tax rates like back up to like ninety percent. God, we wouldn't we wouldn't even have a budget deficit. You know, I mean, that's uh, the way these people in Washington think. Uh, we heard it. We. We heard it from Barbara Lee. I mean, you could just do you just wave wands and uh, magic things happen. Uh, Steve Moore, economist and Godzilla author. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Okay, guys, have a great week. Happy Valentine's Day, Amy. Thank you. You too. What? None for me? <laughs> no, Dan. Not for you, Dan. <laughs> All right. Maybe next year. And Stephen Moore joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Uh, take out a pen and a piece of paper and write this down because uh, this is one of uh, Prof's economic axioms. We were talking about okay. fair share, Barbara Lee, income taxes. I really want to know what small business she owned. I'm going to keep looking for that. Okay, I'm ready. I've got pen and paper, Dan. What do you got? The fair share, quote unquote, from the redistributionist political target is always more because the fair share to the redistributionist political beneficiary is always more. Will always be. You'll never get a number. It will never be fair. It will always just be more because I need more from you to take to bring uh, more to them. You see, think school funding. All right. Anyway, there's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one, Chicago's Morning Answer on AM five sixty. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, some great news coming out of the city. Uh, looks like uh, BLM Brandon is going to be able to save about eight million bucks a year. The city pays for those uh, shot spotter cameras. Wow! And uh, you know, pour that into uh, violence interrupters or some storefront preachers operation, something like that. So that's good news. Maybe uh, more uh, financing for 
black and brown businesses to feed the migrants. The $17 million investment uh, for these 18 black and brown small businesses is really the, um, it really captures what I call the soul of Chicago. It's who we are. Yeah. Last May, the city of Chicago called on the food depository to help feed new arrivals. Exactly. Yeah. That's very nice. 17 black and brown businesses. That's how you describe a business. It's not a way to do it. But anyway, 17 million so far for black and brown businesses, uh, Beal and Brandon's words, to uh, feed migrants. Why not uh, bump it up to 25? So uh, repurpose that shot sputter money. I mean, after the DNC is over, is, of course, yes come and gone do that so some older humans are not thrilled with the decision including um minority older humans like uh tony beale on the south side of the city he said this what do you make of the decision to end this shot spotter this is another horrible decision by the administration to cancel shot spotter um in certain communities um historically they don't call the police and this is a tool to help the police to respond quickly to 911 calls where shots are fired so they can get there in an expeditious manner and now they don't have that tool when data has shown people are not calling 911 so this is something to help communities that are still afraid to call 911 and to aid the police in responding in a timely manner well, and the superintendent had said he was supportive of it as well. Well, the superintendent said he's a huge advocate for ShotSpotter. So the administration is going against the same person he just hired to police the city of Chicago, and you're going against his expertise. Well, I mean, he's got his expertise. BLM Brandon has his expertise. Who's really to say who has more expertise when it comes to public safety? Because remember, we are under sort of a new philosophy when it comes to public safety. And you don't through, do that through policing and imprisonment, which is why we're emptying out Cook County Jail. That was the whole point. I mean, don't forget, BLM Brandon is a defund the police guy. Right. And people so, forget that. And this was one of his campaign promises, remember, that he's going to end the shot spotter camera system. Promise made, promise kept. What's the problem? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. He's done everything that he said he was going to do. Well, he's, you know, marking things off his list. The next thing is probably going to be the city income tax and then the bring Chicago home transfer tax for properties that are a million dollars or more. Well, but that's this on the is, ballot. That's on the ballot. Yeah, at least we got to say in that. But this uh, this decision, it how was the shot spotter camera? Can somebody explain this to me? How is it racist in nature? Well, it, it's it was a it led to the death of Adam Toledo. No, it led police to to find out, and that, that led Toledo. to the death of Adam Toledo. Adam Toledo would be alive today if we didn't have mm-hmm. police chasing down people randomly shooting at cars. So that's what we need to get rid of. We need to turn that over to social workers and violence interrupters and things like that. And now we got eight million bucks more a year to funnel into that, or again, the migrant families. Uh, Savannah Tavares, uh, she's an older human from the southwest side, like the West Lawn neighborhood. She's uh, not thrilled about the decision either. The only people against ShotSpotter are the organizers, the community organizers who want to use the money that saves black and brown lives into their own pockets. Well, not their own pockets, the pockets of their allies, maybe. But, hey, that's the Chicago way. 
This is, I mean, you're going to get rid of ShotSpotter and you're going to implement new training and further development response models to gun violence. Exactly. And ultimately reduce shootings, Dan, and increase accountability. Now, that is what Mayor Johnson said because, you know, he's too afraid to go on camera. So he just released a statement. Uh, The statement's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded. Uh, This inspector general report did find that only 9% of gunshot alerts were ever linked to gun-related crimes. 9% of gunshot alerts from ShotSpotter were linked to gun-related crimes. I I mean, but you don't buy it? No, just because he says it does not mean it's true. All my my cop friends are pissed right now. That's how we know that we're the hot spots, where the activity is going. The ShotSpotter went out, we go. And that's well, our best chance of catching the criminal. We'd love to hear from you, police officers. 312-642-5600. Well, the connection to gunshot alerts and then linked to gun-related crimes. I mean, there's a couple of steps between the alert and an arrest and a prosecution. But so how it's defined. But regardless, I mean, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's another tool. But again, if we're really not supposed to be arresting uh, people, um, generally speaking, particularly people of color who are the victims of systemic racism, then probably, yeah, we should get rid of ShotSpotter. It just, it just um, provides another proper incentive to not arrest and prosecute people who commit crimes. And that's, that's the protocol here. So, I mean, you know, as you say, he's keeping his promises and, he is, but they're not right. But he's doing what he said he's going to do, which scares me to death. But you idiots the, voted for him anyway. He's giving the people what they want. Corey and Woodlawn, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I did want to make a comment about what uh, Anthony Bill said. I worked cops in uh, 3rd District for over seven years, and the citizens called the police at an alarming level. I mean, one month, I mean, 40-something hundred calls in for calls for service. It's not that the citizens aren't calling. We're, we're calling the police. It's that the administration is tying the policeman's hand. Like when Rahm Emanuel was mayor, he specifically said if the perpetrator isn't at the location when you call 911, you may or may not get a cop. So there's lots of things that's happened administratively that has made this situation untenable. And one other comment I do want to make, they're after the policeman's money. No, regardless of what anyone said, these local non-profit NGO idiots are after their salaries. They want that money in their non-for-profit so they can put that money in their pocket. Because if you look at their 990s that they submit to the IRS, that money is going in their pocket. It's not going for services in the communities at all. Absolutely. As uh, always, Corey's on it. He's engaged. He knows. That's exactly right. Well, that's why I said the violence interrupters. That's that's where the money will get repurposed. Of course it will. Um, And by the way, the other part of it, too, we know from the studies that WirePoints has done the last two years, Half of 911 calls don't get any response whatsoever. I know. So, I mean, the, yeah, the residents won't call because they don't trust the police. That's not what, really what the problem is. With, uh, all due respect cities, to Tony Beale. I know. There are 120 cities across America, large cities, use ShotSpotter. Cops love it as a tool. If 120 cities ran off a cliff, should we run off a cliff? <laughs> okay, Dan. Jim in the loop. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, uh, spotter works. I'm I'm a firefighter. I've been at the firehouse. I've been out back, and I've heard five, six shots in the distance, and it sounds like it's about a block east and a couple blocks south, but we're not going to go out as a fire company or an ambulance crew and go look for where somebody shot. But sure enough, a little while later, we get a call for the ambulance to go out, and somebody was shot at that location. 
the accuracy of the location and the pinpointing with that stuff is great. It works and it's helpful. To get rid of it is just ridiculous. Thanks for the call, Jim. Uh, Greg in Jefferson Park. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, you know, this thing just inhibits economic development, man. Exactly. I mean, you know, yep. this poor little guy, uh, whatever his name is, you know, he got shot by the cop, uh, you know, racist extremist cop. And, uh, you know, he was on his way to be in uh, a Latin king. So, you know, the more uh, gangbangers that get shot or taken down or arrested by the police, that just uh, keeps them off the streets from selling drugs. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And uh, Brandon and uh, all his uh, crew are doing everything they can to turn this place into the hellhole it is. You guys have a good one. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, look, they don't have shot spotter cameras in Glencoe. So why should they have them on the south or west side of Chicago? I mean, it's just it's stigmatizing. And um, and you've got to remove that stigma. It's, it's just stupid. That's what I say. It's just stupid. I mean, we keep getting dumber every day here. Ron Unless on the south safe. side. Hey, Dan and Amy. Well, anything that addresses crime in the proper way, certainly. Well, no, that, that's, that's, that's racist. Yeah. You, we, 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 we know that. I don't care what it is. Let's just, you know, let, we don't need any laws. And then if they arrest them, they're going to let them out. And lastly, that, that nonsense about that $17 million, I don't consider that an investment when you're spending on people who are criminals because they are not supposed to be here. So I do not consider that an investment. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Ron. Shotswatter uh, helped out, by the way, when the uh, Venezuelans were fired off shots between them and uh, little village restaurants, rest, restaurant, little village residents. They were fighting a, a double parked car. Yeah, parking four, space. Yeah, five women and four men were shot. Well, and the shotswatter I mean, helped look, with that, and then the cops came. Yeah, but I mean that, that's that was like that's a failure to uh, respect the dib system, which is uh, more powerful <laughs> than. Than uh, city ordinances. Uh, um, it wasn't even snowing out. Yeah. And then, and and I mean, those that is something over which to fight to mm-hmm. make sure the lines of demarcation are respected and the dib system is upheld. Eight shell casings over that. But um, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with uh, with Ron. I mean, you know, probably just just um, don't have any laws. I would just make yeah, things easier. Yeah, I think that's right. Take it all down. Take down the red cameras, too. Then if you're going to take down ShotSpotter, I don't want any whoa, red light cameras whoa, 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 or speed whoa, whoa. cameras because I'm done. And I'm on no, no, and everybody's no, no, on no, no, them. No, no. You know where they are. <laughs> no, 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 no. ShotSpotter costs the city money. The the red light cameras, oh. speed cameras bring in money. And then this way we can pretend we're doing something in the interest of public safety. So we're just taking from your back pocket, not your front pocket. And people seem to like this. They're fine with it. Shot spotter makes me feel safer. And now that's gone. Um, the red light cameras gives them more cash to distribute. That's what's important. Craig and Fox Lake. Uh, hi. How are you guys doing? I've been listening to you guys forever. It's the first time I've been called. called hey. Great. I, act- I actually, no, I mean, even when you guys are on the other station. But no. uh, the... <laughs> well, it was a while ago. But anyway, I actually agree with the mayor, and I don't agree with anything about him. I just think it's a waste of money that's not doing any good. If you look at statistically what it amounts to, uh, you know, what it actually, like, what do you call the juice and the squeeze or something, squeezing with, with the juice while you're getting it, just it's not effective. They're saying even on the mainstream media, you know, it's it's 1% or 2% that they actually get the conviction out of it. And they always say that we're short of police officers, and I think maybe they should use those resources to hire more cops. 
That's all. Uh, all right. Thanks for the call, Craig. I mean, I, but I mean, of course, it would be one thing if they're saying, you know, we need more uh, frontline police, but they're not saying that because that's not what they believe. So this isn't about uh, making a decision on highest, best use of scarce resources in the interest of public safety. This is making an ideological decision, as people have suggested, about policing generally and a financial decision about supporting those who support you. Got a great text message uh, to the firefighters point. Many shot victims are found without a corresponding 911 call to that location, and the police not arrived on the scene. They would have bled out and died. Well, you know, you're going you're gonna to break a few eggs uh, when you're doing something that's transformative, as Mayor Johnson is. Jim in Rockford. Hey, I hope I have the summary correct. So we're not allowed to have guns in Chicago to protect ourselves. The cops only show up to half of the police calls. And we're going to reallocate $18 million in money to feed migrants based upon brown and black. So I guess my question on that is, is that based upon appearance? Or if I'm a business owner who sells food and I identify as that color, do I get part of that money? Uh, Great question. Uh, Thanks for the call, Jim. I guess it's um, predicated on how convincing you are. Um, or how supportive you've been of the uh, efforts of the new new Marxists. Uh, so it's not reallocating 17. The 17 million has already been spent right. on uh, those businesses to feed uh, migrant families and so forth. And uh, now I'm saying this 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 eight million a year that was being sent on ShotSpotter can be repurposed to uh, provide more resources to the people that we care about most in this country, and that is people here who are here illegally. Yeah, but that's that. So I just want to round out that summary. But otherwise, you know, pretty close. Uh, Kevin in Austin, Texas. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of things. Where are the aldermen on this? Well, we heard from dean? a couple of them. Okay, yeah. So where's the where's the dean of the city council, Walter Burnett? He was happy to take money from <laughs> developers when they were developing the west side, but now he's now he's now the vice mayor, and he got paid off with a four hundred thousand dollar budget. Amy, I wish you'd put the screws to this guy. He was happy to have dinner at Madison's restaurant during the last free peak uh, with us in Where are these guys? Oh, my gosh. Boy, I mean, talk about a commentary on how far the city has fallen. Walter wow. Burnett is the dean of the city council. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. he was happy to take developers' money. That about sums it up right there. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Uh, yeah, they'll, you know, they'll kick up a little bit of dust, but at the end of the day, we'll all just move on. Yeah, we got to get it. It's, it's exciting. We got the DNC coming. Focus on the positive. Right. Obama land is uh, under construction. Oh, we got yay, yay. all too kinds bad. of good things happening. Too bad they can't get Obama land done before the DNC. It is too bad. Yeah. And also they, oh, they pushed back Chicago public schools a week. Thank you very much. Next fall, which we just was informed of. We were informed of. Tim and DeKalb. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, this, is, this has to do with people just being lazy. If we got out and voted in the numbers of people who sit on the couch and gripe and groan, who are registered or could register to vote, then there would be none of this stuff. These, these politicians would be the thing. In the past. I'm a city councilman where I live. I, you know, I, I'm, I sit on a board, and people they have no idea what it is we are doing or can do to them. They just sit at home hoping that somebody just takes care of them in the right way. Yeah. And 
you know, and I mean, I have to say that as a person who yells and screams about anything that raises taxes, um, you know, I try to do my best, but I'm, but I'm, I don't trust myself. You know I mean? You can't trust people in power. I mean, that's why the United States is the United States because even the people in power who, who invented us said, you can't trust us, but yet we, we, we don't do a damn thing about it. We sit at home and gripe and groan and you get what you, you get what you don't vote for. That's great. Great call, Tim. I love that uh, way of describing it, too. People have no idea what we're doing or what we can do to them, to them, not for them. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, exactly right. No, and I love the humility of not being able to trust yourself. This is why pressure on politicians matters. But it's just not something that we can really get around to applying here in Chicago and Illinois. What kind of leader or CEO is Mayor Johnson, if his own police chief, Snelling, wants these to stay, saying the, well, so the what, department needs it. So you can't disagree with your police chief? He's, you're, the, you're the authority. He's, he's your appointee. I like the way he's governing. But I didn't vote yeah, for that. Well, whatever. The guy. Yeah, right. We got a guy. Yeah, no idea. Doing. No idea what these people can do. No idea what these people are doing or can do to you. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, and uh, let's get right to it. We're pleased to be joined by Indiana Senator and Republican gubernatorial candidate Mike Braun. Senator Braun, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Hey, good to be back on. Uh, I saw your statement about the um, foreign aid package that uh, was voted out of the Senate and sent over to the House, the $95 billion, which included $60 billion for Ukraine, as we talked a little bit better, uh, earlier in the show in addition to money for Israel, uh, money for Gaza. There was also sort of this um, humanitarian aid that uh, gave discretion for the president to use for, quote-unquote, other vulnerable populations that would be in addition to Ukrainians or um, Gazans and so forth. And so, you know, one wonders how that could be repurposed in the context of our our, uh, you know, border problems, um, your uh, your review of that legislation and uh, those um, 19 Republican senators who voted it out of the Senate. Well, uh, number one, in the statement that I made, I hope I mentioned that every penny of this would be borrowed money, which no one mentions that because that's almost become passe in D.C., but uh, this isn't coming out of any offset of anything else, and uh, that's the real issue in the long run is how much that's going to start crippling the federal government and the fact that you've got then, actually I think it ended up being 22 Republican senators that were on that uh, final passage. Uh, there were other procedural votes, but that make the deal with 100% of the Democrats. And uh, I'd ask your listeners to 
recall when the last time we got even one Democrat on a significant piece of legislation when we run the show, and of course that doesn't happen. So now it is uh, one where it was clear that the southern border has now become an issue uh, to the point where four months ago, 41 senators, that's the magic number to keep anything from advancing. You've got to have 41 not grant cloture, which means continue a filibuster. Uh, and if you don't have that happen, you cannot actually get to the bill. But uh, then McConnell saw where that was going to go down, and the whole ruse of doing a deal that the Democrats would agree to on the border, that border kind of a supplemental bill that we burned three months. I knew back then that was just a kind of a way to let folks think that you're interested in it. That fails, and they knew it would because it had no border security in it. That was H.R. 2, which had been sitting in the Senate for about four or five months that Schumer has no interest in taking up. Now we come to this, and that's the way the place works. And uh, here is why, and I'll let you get back to the next question. I call it the unholy alliance, uh, and that is where these sometimes it just it just takes ten to twelve Republicans. In this case, there are enough neocons and people that believe that we should be borrowing money and spending it overseas as opposed to our southern border that make the deal with the Democrats, and that's now amounting to borrowing. $2 trillion a year just five years ago when I got there, it was about a trillion. It is shameful in my mind. Well, I, I get that the, the big spenders and the internationalists when it comes to foreign affairs and and maybe they still consider themselves, you know, Cold War warriors in, in, with some respects. And this is how they view Russia. But but I mean, just the overall play here. To, um, as I think Rand Paul said, give the middle finger to middle America by saying, you know, after we try to sort of essentially surrender on the border um, and attach all of this money that you, as you say we were borrowing to spend, then, well, we, we scuttle the border piece because that's a non-starter. And we're going to try and jam it down your throats anyway, because these are our priorities. I mean, the, the mentality among some of the maybe I mean, I get sort of, you know, an imperious Mitch McConnell who's been there perhaps uh, a few generations too long. But some of the other rank and file centers, the mentality, I mean, are they that up their own backsides that they don't appreciate what's going on in the country, including their home states? Well, yeah. And sadly, they'll calculate it if they're uh, had just been elected. In other words, whether they're two or four years out, especially the ones that don't come around again until uh, 2028, they're even more brazen because they think they can kind of get this to fade into a memory. But the good news is, uh, of the last 17 senators that have been elected, I was talking to some of the folks that, uh, you know, we were talking about, well, how do you do this? Of course, uh, there were six, seven senators that stayed up all night, uh, and then the vote was finally held at about uh, 5 or 6 in the morning, Tuesday morning. Fifteen out of the last 17 senators are leaning away from that traditional neocon borrow money from our kids and grandkids for whatever your latest and greatest is. We still want to lead. I don't think we should give that up. We can't crawl in a hole. But when Trump asks the NATO members to pay their 2%, these guys just laugh that off. 
but that'll be just like Admiral Mike Mullen said years ago, I fear the red ink more than the red menace. We are getting more senators replacing the ranks of the old guard every year. And there was even a leadership battle uh, in terms of who was going to run the party. Uh, Rick that Scott, right. Roughly, yeah, Rick Scott uh, loved it. He threw his name in the hat. Six of or seven of us voted for him and made it public. Another three did as well. There are going to be another six or seven uh, from just who's come in in 2022, and they build confidence. And now that core of senators is leaning away from this repeat of uh, what you see and frustrates all the folks in our base and even deeper into our own party but, as but, a joke. But, 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 but what is, what is like John Cornyn, John Thune, Joni Ernst, what, what, do they, uh, what do they think of you – Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Josh Holly. I mean, you know, what, what is sort of the dynamic between the, the factions, if you will, in the caucus? Because I, I think people are having a difficult time. I mean, especially as it pertains to the border, even more than the neocon piece of it, especially as it pertains to the border and all of the implications and what's going on. The idea of putting Langford out there the way that McConnell did and Langford agreeing to do it. I mean, what, yep. what what is what is the philosophical divide, or is it personal, or is it personal interest? What explain the dynamic? No, I mean it is it's MAGA versus McConnell, but those aren't defined lines. Uh, when you mention folks like Cornyn and Thune and the other John Barrasso, who would generally be with the conservatives or the three that are out there that would be considered the favorites one of the three to be the new uh, majority leader. And I'm hoping somebody from within that growing conservative uh, kind of a part of the party, like a Rick Scott, would try it again. But the difference is not clear. But when I told you earlier that unholy alliance is generally always going to be the folks that put defense on a pedestal to where they and foreign aid, where they always want it because their focus is not fiscal conservatism. It's not even some of the other issues. It's not even our southern border. That is preeminent. And the Democrats roll them because they don't care how much money you're going to borrow and spend. They're going to match or exceed on the domestic side. And all of them generally would have the underlying reason defense, foreign aid, are sacrosanct. You can't touch it, and then they get rid of their fiscal conservatism, and they hang together. This was a few more than normal um, because you brought in foreign aid and defense. Those aren't one and the same, but it would better, generally you saw all the senators that put that as a priority over every other issue and then get rolled by the Dems. What about this 11 million or, I'm sorry, 17 million that goes to help um, vulnerable countries? What exactly does that mean? Well, that means it's a grab bag for um, whatever uh, Biden would think uh, you need elsewhere. And again, uh, that is subjective. Uh, that is going to have a lot of latitude. And was that necessary in this? No. But when you know something's going to go through, which just was inevitable, they load it up rather than pare it down. So, so on the border, though. 
Is it just as simple as I'm on Team McConnell and you're on Team Trump and it and, and I, I, it really doesn't matter that much what the issue is? I'm just I'm casting my lot with McConnell and 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 not necessarily the the the, the those who agree with Trump in opposition to that border bill are, are throwing their lot with Trump. But they're they're sort of throwing their lot with uh, the base of the party and yeah. frankly, probably their personal philosophy, too, in many cases, including yours. But. But is is that what it is? Is it just is it just sort of that's what, juven- that's is what that juvenile? Dams, that's what the dams and McConnell want you to think. And now you watch the liberal media is trying to, in a very hypocritical way, say they uh, the Republicans are to blame for not getting the border bill. That border bill would have baselined illegal immigration eight to ten times what it was at pre-COVID. And but then, I, I, in other right. words, since Biden took over. And then the other thing it would do is you don't even need legislation, technically speaking, because Biden is using the same template, the same legislative substrate as what Trump had. Trump just did it with enforcement in mind. Biden and the Democrats want open borders because they think it benefits them politically. So that's another issue. And you don't want to pass something that legitimizes a level eight to ten times what it was. Trump gets elected and then he's handcuffed on even getting it back to where it was before. That's the ruse. That's the complication. Right. right. And I understand. But 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 what I don't understand, I still don't understand. I'm trying to get this. Maybe there's not an easy answer. The Republicans who supported that, do they not understand the implications of of slow walking the, to the same destination as the full on open borders or do they not care? And if they don't care, why? Why don't they care? Don't they understand the implications? Again, those uh, Republicans uh, are probably, if you had a pure border bill, I mean, that's why 41 Republicans stuck together. They're going to be for that. Then they get swept into doing them together. Uh, I think McConnell was, uh, he's been there long enough. He knew that was going to fail. But then you get rid of the kind of uh, artificial attempt at a fake border bill, then you immediately jump on what at least half of those 22 senators, if not a little more than that, were most interested in was not the border. It would have been the foreign aid component, the supplemental. That sounds confusing, uh, but I think that's about as clear as you're going to get on how the inside ball works. And until we get more Republicans that are not going to fall for that and that put the border and our uh, uh, country's future financially as maybe the two priorities, you're going to get more of the nonsense that you've been witnessing. Uh, Are the the Republican caucus going to stand in unison, even though they don't have the votes to convict, in uh, the Biocris impeachment? Or are you going to see those same uh, Republicans who peeled off to join the Democrats do them on the Biocris impeachment, too? Well, the sad thing is, um, I'm not sure what Senate protocol is. But or even it if it'll be, it'll it. be called, yeah. Schumer will sit on that uh, in terms of whatever he can do to keep it uh, either to be a uh, kind of a uh, perfunctory exercise uh, or if he could keep it from even coming to the floor. And I'm not sure about what the rules are there. He has no interest in that. So, uh that won't uh, go anywhere in the Senate. And then you'd, um, I don't know how many Republican senators, if it did come up, would uh, end up voting 
to convict, it doesn't make any difference because there wouldn't be one Democrat that would, and you need two-thirds of the Senate on board to convict through an impeachment. So it is all uh, mostly messaging, but I'm glad the House did it because you've uh, what, what Mayor, Mayorkas has done as the implementer and Biden as uh, the band leader, uh, something needs to be done other than saying it's a bad policy. He is Indiana Senator Mike Braun, also Republican candidate for governor in Indiana come November. Uh, Senator Braun, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. In my pleasure. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Hurry up, boss. What do you got? Oh, my Valentine today? Yeah, I had a great one, but we don't have time. Former speaker. Uh, I'm playing golf with Newt Gingrich. Oh, you are? Yeah, I'll give him your regards. Yeah. So that's my Valentine's Valentine's Day date. Don't bring music and don't smoke. Are you going to smoke cigars around him? Yeah, I'll smoke cigars. I I don't music. What what am I on the live tour? No, I don't don't think so. Um, Everybody, Harrison Bucker. If you want to find a man, you want to find a man like him. Not just because he's a Georgia Tech grad, but he puts God first and his wife. The hardest part about being a dad, I think, is is sacrificing. You know, you have to be able to put others first. You got to put your wife first and then the children as well. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.